Gleeman Radio's Return to the Wheel of Time podcast is a reread series. Therefore, it is full of spoilers. If you haven't read the entire series yet, I really can't recommend listening on. So take that as a warning from I, Baalzaman, Heart of the Dark. It's really a good idea to take me seriously. I tend to get rather violent with people who, you know, don't take my warnings. Ha! So don't do that. You know, a good example would be the last episode. The Gleeman kept constantly talking about how things in that chapter kept correlating to things in the later book in the series. So if you haven't read that book in the series yet, you'd be spoiled a shitload. And you wouldn't want that, because the Wheel of Time series is utterly fantastic. I know that because, huh, you know, I'm in it. It's, you know, I'm great. Just, just so you know, in case you haven't read all of me yet, I, I, I'm fantastic. Anybody listening, all the Friends of the Dark at least, can agree. So, yeah, if you haven't read it yet, turn back now. I think I've said it enough, because if, if you're still listening and you haven't, I, you're stupid. So, moving on. So I'm a little bit pissed about being, uh, you know, left out at the last episode. The Great Lord of the Dark was not pleased. He kind of commands me to be here for almost every episode as a punishment of sorts for a certain misstep in the Stone of Tear. But I can't say that's entirely my fault because I am crazy and having me, the shallow husk of who I used to be, have to attend this miserable Gleeman and assist him in making this podcast has truly been a taxing experience. He is here, by the way, but he's moping on the porch while smoking tobacco. And uh, first of all, he said the tobacco is shit and not as good as he would like to get from, like, say, for example, the Two Rivers. But I don't know how he would actually think he could get a hold of Two Rivers tobacco. And then he's moping about mustaches. Oh, I miss mustaches. And I won't be able to see it again, the mustaches, for like 760 pages. He's gone bonkers. I'm a crazy man. And he's gone bonkers. Uh, But he will be discussing the chapter after I do all this introduction. You know, since I wasn't here last week, I decided... Week. It was Monday. Yes, it was supposed to be Friday, but then he released it Monday, and because he's guilty, he's trying to release three podcasts this week, not taking into account that this chapter, the White Beat Bridge chapter, is like the second longest chapter he's covered so far, and he sandwiched it in the middle like an idiot. <laughs> stressed out at work, guys. Shale Ghoul is rough right now. Rough. I'm a busy man. The Great Lord of the Dark has not been pleased with my performance as of late. Uh, it's been, it's, it's been rather taxing, I'm not gonna lie. But I suppose we should move on to the recap, and then the clip of the day, and then the Gleeman will come in here and chat to you forever about this podcast. So let's get into that, shall we? So, last time on The Eye of the World, I believe it was chapter 25, The Traveling People. 
Somehow I have this knowledge even though I wasn't here. Isn't that interesting? What does the Great Lord want from me? Really, he's shoveling all this useless knowledge. Whatever. Moving on. So, the Gleam... not the Gleeman, uh, the curly-haired blacksmith apprentice that can recently talk to wolves. Another thing I have to deal with, and the child from the Netherin, what was her name? Egwin, yes. She and him found themselves in the camp of the first split of the Deshaenai, which is interesting to see that a people still follow the way of the leaf. Makes things quite good for me. I could have people that I can attack and will put up no resistance. But it does, you know, feel a little odd, considering we used to use the Duchesne quite frequently. Even I have a soft spot for the Duchesne. It's impossible not to, really. It's quite distracting. So anyway, turns out I didn't delegate well enough, and when a couple maidens found out about my plan to blind the Eye of the World and kill the Great Serpent, I told Samurdral to handle it, and they got lazy. They were trying to get their new Thokandar blades made, and they just sent a couple Trollocs to hunt down the maidens that found out my plans. And of course, you can't send Trollocs to do anything alone because they're dumb. And of course, my information got passed to a Tavirin. Great, fan bloody dastic And soon enough, it'll be in the hands of even worse people to find out. For anyone wondering if my plan to blind a, you know, the eye of the world and to kill the great serpent sounds nuts, it might be. Uh, I am crazy, but whatever. Speaking of crazy, Gleeman was on me Friday to burn this young pretty boy Tinker Aram out of the pattern with Balefire. And I told him, no, first of all, he's obviously been integrated into the pattern and has his place locked in. But he just kept whining, oh, you're the heart of the dark. Oh, you're the heart of the dark and you just can't kill a simple tinker with Balefire? Really? And I'm sitting here going, Gleeman, I'm not that crazy. Only lose Theron's crazy enough. No, no, not even mad as a hatter, Luz Theron wanted to use Balefire very often. Did, did you notice? Yes, even in his final moments, he didn't Balefire himself. He sent a bolt of energy, a bolt of lightning made of pure raw power to kill himself. Not Balefire, because I'm not that stupid to use Balefire. The Gleeman just needs to get over himself. I understand this tinker is, is really kind of awful. I mean, Honestly, even I wouldn't have made him a dark friend, and I'll deal with Pardon Fane over that Arab fellow. Really, he's... Whew. But, uh, he needs to get over it, because he's just going to have to read his story again, whether he likes to or not. Well, I think I've discussed everything, uh, almost everything. There's still no friend of the dark here, because no one's asking for it, and it makes me wonder if any of you at all respect my leadership. But whatever, uh, for the second time in a row, we will not be having a Baalzaman Q&A or an Ask Baalzaman se session, because people haven't been sending in enough queries. 
Really, come on, people. You don't think the betrayer of hope has your best interest at heart? Come now. Get on it. I don't only want to be doing this for the podcast. Really, I don't. <sighs> With that out of the way, here's your clip of the day, and then the Gleeman's gonna start blabbing at you about Chapter 26 Whitebridge and his mustaches. So, have a... Oh, I can't even say it. Just listen to the podcast. There. I'll be back. Think you can outrun it, do you, boy? He began to mutter to himself. The only word Rand could make out was Owen. Abruptly, Tom growled. I never should have gotten mixed up with you boys. Should never have. He shrugged the bundle Gleeman's cloak off of his back and thrust it into Rand's arms. Take care of that. When I say run, you run and don't stop until you get to Gamelin. The Queen's blessing, an inn. Remember that, in case... Just remember it. I don't understand, Rand said. The Murdral was not twenty paces away now. His feet felt like lead weights. Just remember it, Tom snarled. The Queen's blessing. Now... Run! He gave them a push, one hand on the shoulder of each of them, to get them started, and Rand stumbled away in a lurching run with Matt at his side. Run! Tom sprang into motion, too, with a long, wordless roar. Not after them, but toward the Murdral. His hands flourished, as if he were performing at his best, and daggers appeared. Rand stopped, but Matt pulled him along. The Fade was just as startled. Its leisurely pace faltered in mid-stride. Its hand swept toward the hilt of the black sword hanging at its waist. But the Gleeman's long legs covered the distance quickly. Tom crashed into the Murdral before the black blade was half-drawn and both went down in a thrashing heap. The few people still in the square fled. Run! So, uh... Hi. Uh, I know it's not forever. But already, I miss the mustaches. And we haven't even got there yet, folks. It just hurts. Just hurts too much. <laughs> I was so upset that first reading. I remember that. I can't remember anything much more. But I was so upset. <laughs> and uh, this time, I took the time to look it up. And we won't be reunited with the mustaches for like 760 something pages. Okay, because the end of this chapter is page 400. And we don't see him again in Kyrian till like page 376 of The Great Hunt. <laughs> so I'm bummed out because as of this point um, he was my favorite, you know? Moraine was the most epic, uh, Lan was the most awesome, and Tom was the most entertaining. And then you got Nynaeve, who, in my reread state, is just plain endearing. I know a point will come where I start getting very, very frustrated with her, no matter how much I do love her character. Um... But right here and right now, she's not subconsciously or consciously forcing her temper to rise. So we see a lot more of her better moments, and I'm just worried 
<laughs> when we get to the other stuff. But now I'm just rambling and procrastinating because I don't want to talk about the scene at the end of this podcast because <laughs> I'm just I'm just bummed out. <laughs> so let's just get into the chapter breakdown. All right, so as today's chapter opening, well, opens up, I find myself quite envious as we find Matt and Rand in the middle of Gleeman training with mustaches. I mean Tom Marilyn. <laughs> uh, Matt's trying his flute lessons, and uh, <laughs> he's not very good. Uh, both Rand and the nearby sailors have their hands over their ears <laughs> because he's apparently that bad. Uh, so as Matt finishes his barely recognizable rendition of The Wind That Shakes the Willow, and after dudes give an audible sigh of relief because he's done, Tom breaks in with greatness. He's like, oh, I believe it's true. You can't teach a pig to play the flute. <laughs> oh, burn. Oh, that was rough. I am paraphrasing that quote so badly, but it, it was good. Trust me, it was it was very fun. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So Rand's uh, Matt's bad at the flute, and everybody knows it. And uh, <laughs> the white-haired old Gleeman went on ranting about how he thought all shepherds were supposed to have spent their idle time playing the flute or the pipes, and that he shouldn't trust what he doesn't know firsthand. But admittedly, Matt breaks in with the simple truth that. He wasn't a shepherd. He was the son of a farmer and a horse trader, and he milked cows and stuff, you know? He actually lived in town. He wasn't off in the fields, you know, herding sheep. Rand was the shepherd. And then we heard that Rand actually played pipes at one point, which would have been interesting because we've never, ever, ever, ever see him do it again. Uh, or at all on, like, screen tech... Not on screen. In page? Huh, I need to find a right word for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but Tom actually agrees with that. He's like, well, Rand's not too bad with a flute. He doesn't have no talent in it. <laughs> Another funny moment was when one of the sailors laughed at Tom's insult of Matt, and uh, Matt nearly threw the gilded flute at him, but Tom's like, no, 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 and he took it back right in time. Oh, that was good. You know, I honestly always found it interesting that Matt wasn't very good at playing music. You know, he's always singing and dancing as the series goes on. And he has quick hands and nibble fingers, which I guess are good for instruments. Honestly, I always thought it was weird that he couldn't play the flute. Um, it made me think that maybe it was the dagger. Like, he couldn't focus or give it his all and practice because, you know... The Shatter Logoth dagger and it's twisting upon him. I mean, a moment later, we see its effects on Rand. Imagine what it's like for Matt. Like, it's probably constant and all the time. Like, every time he picks up the flute and puts it to his lips, he hears this. <sighs> What's the point of this, really? How will this help us or protect us from Shadow Spawn and Aes Sedan? Honestly. 
Why is he forcing us to do this? Is he forcing me to do this because I'm bad at it? Is he laughing at me? I bet he's laughing at me right now on the inside. Why is he even here? It's dangerous near us. What's his angle? Is he going to betray us? Is he leading us into a trap? Maybe not, but why is he here? Well, anyway, Tom moves on with their instruction, telling Matt they'll do some juggling next since he seems to at least have some skill for that, you know? <laughs> and again, so cool getting some first-hand training from the greatest gleeman of the age. And all they can do is be ungrateful. I mean, the first thing Rand does is ask why he keeps bothering them to train him, train them like this. I mean, being his apprentices was only their cover until they met back up with a Gwent Moraine. But seriously, how ungrateful. I would give anything, okay, for some lessons with Tom Drill Marilyn. In case you haven't guessed, I'm kind of a fan. Uh, I think learning to juggle would be cool. I think learning some musical instruments would be cool. And I think more than anything else, being a storyteller would be cool. But no, they're just all like, why are you doing this, man? We've got better stuff to do. It's awful. It's awful. Uh, but Tom is just like, well, boy, what if they don't make it? You know, what if they don't show up? What if they died? And Rand firmly says he believes they're all alive. And then <laughs> for some reason, he turns to Matt for support with a, you know, right, Matt? They're totally fine. <laughs> Which, well... It's, he's not going to be very helpful, you know? Asking the guy currently being corrupted by an evil dagger stolen from a tainted, ruined city that is currently sucking away all the positivity and the ability to trust from him. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to be... He's going to be super positive for this, right, Rad? Yeah, so to no big surprise, the dude does not give... The response Rand was asking slash hoping for. He's like, well, maybe they are Ned. We don't know. We got to think of the facts as we know them. And oh, oh, oh. Ah, in the middle of this awkward stare down between the two Two Rivers lads, one of the sailors up on high on lookout shouts that Whitebridge is in sight, but Rand just continues to stare down his old friend, trying to figure out what to say to him, or even how to say it. Why is he acting like this? You know, he just thought they had to be alive. They had to. But then, Rand heard a voice. A voice that was not his own, that was not Luz Theron's, and was very, very negative. Why? So it will all turn out like one of Tom's stories? The heroes find the treasure and defeat the villain and live happily ever after? Some of his stories don't end that way. Some, sometimes, even heroes die. Are you a hero, Rand Althor? Are you a hero, Sheepherder? Oh, I feel so bad because the dagger is totally corrupting everything around him. Uh, you know, that, that, that's obviously the dagger in Rand's head, and it sucks. Because it's just so damn negative, and it makes you really worry for Matt, you know? If that's in his head all the time, it must suck. But Rand just continues to stare down his old friend, uh, ignoring the 
dark thoughts that have invaded his mind, or doing his best to. Uh, and finally, Matt kind of flushes and drops his gaze, you know, but that's about it. They just go off together to the prow or wherever they are on the boat to look at Whitebridge. So next we actually get a sight of Whitebridge, which is cool, and I'll kind of breeze through these descriptions because honestly it's just a structure. Interesting, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so it's described as this milky white kind of crystalline towering spiraling bridge that's just really, really cool. Um, and Rand's like, it looks like glass. And Doman's like, no, lad, hey, you know, no matter how bad it rains, it never gets slippery, and a strongest man with the strongest chisel could uh, smack it, and it would, nothing happen. Just nothing happened. Um, and, which makes me think it was like uncut diamond, or quartz, or some kind of crystal, or something like that, uh, carved into the size of a bridge by the by the one power, you know? Uh, because Tom thinks it's from the Age of Legends. Uh, <laughs> Doman's like, well, it don't have to be that old. I mean, I do we have to always attribute this stuff to the Aes and, <laughs> and Rand's like, yeah, there's one thing about here about the wonders of Aes and I, and the other is to have to deal with the Aes and I. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's kind of cool. And, uh... What else? Uh, oh, Rand sees a shadow go across it. And this is highly debated in the community. Uh, like, what is the shadow? Oh my god, what is it? Is it like something made with the power, made with Sidene, and he's seeing a taint, piece of the taint course through it? Or or is it have something to do with him channeling? Is this perhaps uh, an Angrial or a Terangrial or a Sangrial, and he's reacting to it? And personally... I think it's the Merdral traveling through the shadows through the bridge. I, 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 that's what I that's what I think it is. It's the Merdral traveling literally through the shadows inside the bridge. Uh, I don't know if he's traveling in or out. I don't know if he's hanging out. I don't know if what you know, I don't know what's going on because we'll see him soon enough. But that that's what my opinion is really. So next, the boat kind of sails the rest of the way into Whitebridge, and uh, before they've even docked entirely, we see some merchants coming. Oh, no, no, before that, Rand's all happy. He's like, look, Tom, we finally made it. Whitebridge, and without even a mutiny. And Tom's like, yeah, whatever, and he blows out his mustaches. Yes. <sighs> We're not going to have much more of that. too sad it's too sad maybe you guys think I'm, I'm going too far into it but <sighs> anyways they get into white ridge and before they even fully dock um some carriages have arrived and the passengers are merchants but they look kind of like nancy boys to me who wears long velvet coats and silk lined cloaks and cloth slippers that's the one that really gets me cloth slippers on the dock. It's absolutely ridiculous. And then they've got their plain dress servant carrying their money chest because they're here to do some business with Doman. Uh, but just as they kind of make their way up and just as we've kind of pulled into the dock and are getting ready to get off, Gelb 
oh, not Gelb. Doman points out in kind of a rage. It's like, you! And the merchants are like, whoa, whoa, what did we do? Are, is everything cool? Uh, and he's like, Gelb, you've slept on my boat through watch for the last time. I don't care which side you get off, the dock or the river, but you are getting off now. And if I have my way, you will never work on another vessel again. And it's great. I really, it was satisfying. But then Gelb pulls his rage bit and glares murder at Rand and Matt and Tom like it's their fault he was sleeping through watch. Especially Rand. Oh, he hates Rand. Because they got him in trouble because they got him caught. It's just, I don't get it. Personally, if I do something wrong, I'll admit it. Hey, bro, one of my packs of cigarettes are missing from a carton. Oh, yeah, I did that. I'll have the money to buy you a new one tomorrow. You have nine more. Is that cool? Yeah, but you could have asked me next time. It's like, I would have, but you were at work, you know? Or, uh, you know, stealing something out of the fridge. Ooh, this piece of ice cream. Oh, there's not that much ice cream left. I'll go get a new one tomorrow. If someone goes in, I'll be like, yeah, that's my bad, really. But Gelb's just not taking any responsibility at all, and it pisses me off. So after Doman yelled at him, he ran down into the galley or whatever it's called, the crew's quarters, uh, and Doman sent two men after him to escort him down to make sure he caused no mischief. Ooh. Uh, and they, you know, escorted him out a little bit later. Still staring murder. God, I hate Gelb. I, I, I hate him. Luckily, we'll only have one more scene, really, with Gelb, and then we won't have to see him again until he's trying to kidnap Nynaeve and Elaine in Tanchico. But, you know... <laughs> Even that scene annoys me. Gelb is not in anything good at all, ever. He's just not. He's just not. So at a word from the Gleeman, uh, Tom... <laughs> at a word from the Gleeman, Rand and Matt went and gathered their things, which really wasn't much, and headed off for the gangplank. And... Rand is still sad. He's holding his sword and going, Oh, will I ever see my father again? And uh, then we get more Matt corruption, you know. Going to spend the rest of your life running? Running and afraid of your own dreams? Uh, it just keeps going. I'm not sure if I want to do the effect every time I read one of these because they're coming in frequently here. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, they headed over to the gangplank with Tom, uh, and Rand was scanning, uh, around, and he didn't see anyone that looked like his friends, and he was bumming him out, and he was kind of being all hopeful, though, still, you know, like, well, maybe they just haven't come down to the dock, and Tam's like, yeah, uh, sorry, Tam. Tom's just like, yeah, whatever, boy, of course, they haven't come back. <laughs> Uh, Rand is just trying to be so optimistic right now. I think it's the only thing keeping him going. Uh, but just as they're leaving, uh, Doman, uh, what's the right word here? Oh, I keep messing up. I keep messing up. Excuses himself from, uh, the merchants and comes over to Tom and the boys. And he's like, so you're leaving us, Gleeman. Well, I kind of really wish you wouldn't. <laughs> like, you want to stay with us? We're going to Ilion, and there's going to be festivals, and uh, what did he say? It was the competitions, the Feast of Safan, 
where you can earn a hundred gold marks for the best telling of the Great Hunt of the Horn. And, well, you know, Tom's really good at that stuff. He'd probably win. No problem. Really. He probably wouldn't have a problem at all. Uh, and Tom considers it. He's like, oh, yeah, Ilion. Yeah, that's a good place for Gleeman. But Rand's like, no, 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 uh, Master Doman. Sorry, we're, we're meeting friends here. Uh, <laughs> and Doman's like, oh, well, that's too bad. Uh, you know, I mean, I could, you know, <laughs> please. <laughs> because he thinks he might have to slow his pace a bit uh, <laughs> without the Gleeman to entertain. So he doesn't want to take three times as long to get to Ilion. So he's like, well, I could still work them a little hard if the Gleeman is on board entertaining. Uh, and he's like, you know, <laughs> please. <laughs> he's not being that that hard about it, but he, he really would rather them come. Which you know, because when Tom's like, I don't know if we could afford your prices, Captain. Uh, Beldoma's like, oh, oh, yeah. And then he throws them a coin pouch. And he's like, that's your passage back, plus a little bit more besides for your entertaining. And if you come back, I can manage that much again. You know what? If you come back, I'll manage three times that much. Because I can definitely push the crew a little bit harder, you know, if you're there. And Tom's like, oh, that's cool. You know, that wouldn't be a bad idea. And Rand's just like, no, we got things to do. And Tom's like, oh, fuck fine you know what captain maybe if our friends aren't here we might be back and he's like yeah hopefully that'd be nice uh we leave it first light <laughs> please come back but they don't they don't they leave domon here and head into town as the three head into Berlon with Rand kind of hauling Tom and guiding him forward, because Tom's kind of lost in thought, uh, Rand notices that the uh, town of Whitebridge is actually about as big as Berlon, just not as crowded with people. Probably because Berlon was crowded with the miners. So, yeah, maybe we had, this is more how the population of Berlon would usually be. You know, he's seeing shops and people and there's carts and wagons being pulled through, sometimes by horses, donkeys, men, uh, but no carriages. Apparently, you know, the rich folk don't come into this portion of the town. Uh, but, you know, as they're guiding Tom along, Rand notices that a lot of people are paying attention to Tom's cloak. And he's kind of like, oh, shit. So much for not being noticed. Why didn't we think of having Tom change so he didn't look like a super recognizable Gleeman that ga garners everybody's attention? But, of course, at talk of, you know, his cloak, Tom kind of comes out of his reverie. He comes out of his thought process. And he's like, no, we need an innkeeper. Uh, the right innkeeper will give us all the information they need. They have all the news and all the gossip. So you follow me and let me do the talking. And he kind of just takes the lead and leads them on. And he goes uh, taking different routes. And Rand is looking at all the shops. And he's noticing that food is meager, kind of like how it was in Bearlon. And how hard times haven't come yet, but they are coming. And everyone seems a little bit nervous about it. Uh, meanwhile, Tom finally comes to a stop and leads them into an inn in this giant courtyard where the White Bridge actually funnels out. 
And uh, it's this huge courtyard rounded by shops and inns and all this stuff. And Tom leads them into the Wayfarer's Rest, which is another primo inn name. It really is. Um, and it's got like a picture of a guy with like a knapsack uh, and a walking stick traveling on one side of the sign and on the other side. It's the same guy with his head on the pillow. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to let the cat out because otherwise she's just going to keep meowing at the door. Do you hear her? Do you hear her? Do it again, Sophia. See? All right, let's go. So, hey, the Alzamon here. I'm just popping in just to make something absolutely clear to you folks. I doubt the Gleeman would want me to tell you this, so it seems like an absolutely fantastic way just to get on his nerves. Oh, and I love to do that. Pissing off the Gleeman is just how I live now. It really is. First of all, from here onward, we're picking up the recording two days later. The Gleeman was halfway done with the podcast on Wednesday when some family said they needed some help, and he left for hours doing who knows what. It might have been something pretty tough, though, because the Gleeman spent practically all of Thursday in bed. It was ridiculous. He was mumbling something about allergies, but he really doesn't have an excuse. Ah, man, that guy is ridiculous. Finally, he comes back to his recording Friday morning and deletes, like, half of it in disgust. Apparently, he was on a bit of a time crunch Wednesday and thought he'd try recording without notes. Oh, he just read a couple pages at a time and talked about them into the microphone, but the problem with that is... Unlike me, he can't literally spit fire. (laughs) And he was using the wrong names at times, he was telling things out of order, or forgetting things that happened entirely, and only remembering later on and trying to insert them in, which was quite awkward. It, It was really quite funny. So, from the point of their first viewing Whitebridge, to leaving the Wayfarer's Rest via, you know, the window, uh, and waiting on Tom, he tried to record without any sorts of notes to keep him focused, and it was awful. Oh, awful. So he came back and listened, and he was cringing and flinching at the sound of his own voice and deleted, like, 25 minutes of audio. So we're going to be starting back at where... Tom Marilyn, Randall Thor, and Matt Cawthon are entering the Wayfair's Rest. Uh, you see, he has to have notes. <laughs> Otherwise, he becomes incredibly unfocused. And, uh, well, I just thought I'd let you know, because he might try to sneak it back to you. Past you, you know? It's not the way to do things. It's really not. Well, back to the story, then. Here's the Gleeman. There were only three people in the common room when Rand, Matt, and Tom entered. Two fellows in rough workman's clothes staring glumly into their drinks, and the innkeeper who looked up at the travelers as they entered. 
Although I really liked Rand's thought process here as he looked at the innkeeper and wondered if all of them were fat and balding. It wasn't a rude thought, you know? It was just an observation because that's like all the innkeepers he's ever seen. And I love it. It's just a very fun note in there. Tom took the lead, rubbing his hands together briskly and commenting on the late cold, you know, the weather still being all bad, before ordering hot, spiced wine for the three of them and asking if there was a place at all that the three of them could talk without being disturbed. Uh, they have sensitive things to discuss, you know. The, indicator, <laughs> the innkeeper indicated a shoulder-high wall that ran directly through the common room, saying that the other side of that was, well, the best he could really do unless they wanted to actually pay for a room. Uh, apparently half the crews of sailors that come through town have grudges with each other, and the innkeeper doesn't want his common room broken up with fights, so he put up this wall hoping that the separation would keep them in check. And at first, I was really kind of wondering how much a shoulder-high wall could do. How much would that help? You know, if you could... If some really rowdy dudes wanted to argue and fight, and if they could still kind of see each other over the wall, how much would that help? But then I realized Rand called it a shoulder-high wall from his POV. And if Rand thought it was shoulder-high, then I guess in reality it would be head-high for most of the people there, you know? Tom does point out more than once that Rand's height was like as bad as a banner for making them stick out when they want to go be unnoticed. So that's very possibly it. Maybe it's too tall for people to see them normally, especially if they're sitting down at the tables. So I suppose that would work, and it's a weird thing to think about. I just, it caught my attention for a second. So, next, the innkeeper eyes Tom's cloak and asks if he's thinking of staying to perform here, you know? Good money here for a gleeman, he says. But then he also adds that if Tom does perform, he'd take a bit off his rooms and meals. J j just a bit off his rooms and meals. Are you, are you serious? For Tom Marilyn? I, I'm sorry, you don't know he's Tom Marilyn. I, he's just a gleeman, but... Tom thanks him and says he'll think on it before escorting the boys over to the other side of the wall, and they take a table in the very center of the room, which, according to Tom, is so they can make sure no one listens in on them without them noticing. But then he just starts complaining, rightly, about how that innkeeper was ridiculous, alright? Any innkeeper worth their salt. Any innkeeper without, with any honor at all would give the Gleeman a room and free meals besides, because just him sitting there in the common room drinking and maybe smoking his pipe would have the chance of doubling that dude's custom easy. What was that? That was really loud. Oh, it's something in the railway. All right. Uh, I also like how both Rand and Matt look around the tables, you know, that look like they've been half-washed, and the floor that doesn't look like it's been swept in days, if not longer, and they're like, why did we have to go to this inn? This inn's dirty, <laughs> and we saw nicer-looking inns on our way here. <laughs> I like Rand has an observation here where he's like, 
Man, Master Alvir would never let the Wine Spring Inn come to this. He'd climb out of a sick bed to take care of it before he let it get this bad. Which was just, uh, it made me laugh. I don't know. Uh, but Tom actually explains himself. He's like, the reason we're here is because this is the best place for information. That path heading across the bridge and beyond goes straight to Camelin. And if anybody wanted to know about someone passing through, the innkeeper would know about it. And it was at this time that the man himself appeared at their table carrying three chipped pewter mugs. Even, like, his floors are dirty, his tables are dirty, his mugs look worse for wear. It's... This is, this is not a great innkeeper, guys. Uh, and he took Tom's money and tried again to hire Tom by saying that, you know, a gleeman here at this establishment, they wouldn't have to pay for their drinks. What just happened? Oh, no. Oh, no. I hit the, I hit the zero button on my keyboard by accident while I was reading these notes, and it went all the way back to the top. Page one out of 340. Oh, do you, I need... Oh no, where is it? Oh, 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 there it is. There it is. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, still going up? Still going up? Uh-huh. Well, shit. Come on. Ooh, not yet. Wow. Alrighty then. Okay, there we are. There we are. Oh my god, I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> Page 324 out of 340 in my notes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So Tom says it's best because this is a great place for information. Uh, innkeeper hands over chipped pewter mugs. Tries to hire Tom saying that he'd give him free drinks if he performed. And Tom is still incredibly insulted. And he's like, yeah, okay, I'll think about it. Using a smile that only touches his mouth before asking if the innkeeper you know, has any news because they've been traveling and away from people in the know. What do you know, innkeeper, that we need to know? Let us, let us know. What is, what is wrong with me? Uh, the innkeeper announces that there was indeed big news, huge news, the hugest. I need to stop. And with that, he sat down at the table alongside them and introduced himself as Master Bartram and began talking to them in length about his feet and how great it was to be off them. And when I say in great detail, I, I, I mean it. He went on and on about his corns and bunions and how long he spent standing and what he soaked his feet in at night and... Oh, wow. A little odd. Yeah, they never asked. Nobody asked. <laughs> but I kind of understand that sometimes complaining about something bothering you kind of lifts its power over you a bit, you know, makes it easier to handle. But still, dude. Wow, that's a long talk. And he's not talking about pleasant stuff either, okay? I was talking about this to a family member who's a, who used to be a nurse. And at mention of corns and bunions, she flinched. Okay? there was there, this, this was in an episode of Scrubs where Elliot had a huge uh, bunion on her foot. And even the nurse passed out looking at it on the episode. And the surgeon, the plastic surgeon used to this shit, flinched. 
Okay, I know that's a show for comedic effect, but it's not pleasant stuff. And he's just talking about it like it's nothing. Oh, yeah, I soak them in this, and it's... Wow, buddy. Too much information, and information we really don't want to know. I'm on... I, oh. Oh, I got off subject, but it was gross. And, and, and it was uncalled for. <laughs> uh, Tom kind of mentions... Uh, you said something about huge news and Bartram switched over without missing a beat. He's like, Oh, they're huge. And then, Oh, they're sore. And I soak them. And Oh yeah. So you didn't hear the false dragon. Logan has been defeated and captured. Wow. Well, well now Bartram, that's, that's not wrong at all. That is big news. I'm surprised after your foot story. Uh, apparently there was a big battle near Lugard, and while Loghain was trying to transport his army from Gildon to Tyr, the prophecies, you know, said Bartram, <laughs> to which Tom nodded knowingly. I've always wondered, of course Tom knows about the prophecies, I mean, he's read them, but what about Bartram? How common knowledge is the prophecies of the dragon, or Kalandor, in Tyr? To the greater world. I wonder if Bartram just says the prophecies, you know, because that's really all he knows. Oh yeah, the false dragon, and here he's moving on Tyr. Something about the dragons and Tyr is really important in the prophecies, so that's that's why it's happening. And it's just something to think on. <sighs> something I really liked that Bartram went on to say here is how the roads to the south were packed with refugees. The lucky ones able to take their belongings with them on their backs, and the unlucky ones just wearing the clothes on their backs. And I like Bartram's little chuckle here at, Interesting how none of them claim to have ever supported Loghain. Hmm, yeah, they definitely weren't former followers of the False Dragon. <laughs> no, they're just poor, penniless refugees trying to evade these troubled times. <laughs> I found it amusing. I don't know what I can say about that. Uh, next, Bartram went on to say that the Aes Sedai were at the battle, of course, uh, seeing how Logan could do <clears throat> quote-unquote things, and he spit on the floor as he said this, and he spit again when he told them the Aes Sedai were taking Logan to Tarvalin. Yeah, Bartram's one of those people that really don't like Aes Sedai. As he puts it, Bartram was an honest man, a respectable man, and all the Aes Sedai could just go back to the blight and bring Tarvillan along with it. Oh, he clearly doesn't understand. I mean, the Aes Sedai are awful, awful. Uh, my current favorite podcast on the Wheel of Time is The Dragon Reread. And they're on break right now doing Harry Potter, and then they'll get they'll they'll get back to uh, what was it, the Crown of Swords? Yeah, I think it's the Crown of Swords. And uh, one thing they like to say is that the wise ones are awful, like just absolutely awful bullies. And I agree with that in part, but I think the Aes Sedai are so much worse. Wise ones are at least admilling, willing to admit at least to each other that they're wrong, but the Aes Sedai never, 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 never. And plus, you know, the wise ones don't consider power in, you know, level of strength in the one power to be relevant to be a good leader. And the Aes Sedai do. 
very much. I know that has nothing to do with going what's going on right now in the story, but I keep thinking of it. I'm like, oh, the Aes Sedai are awful. And when I hear someone like this talk about him like that, I want to say, whoa, whoa, buddy. Uh, the Aes Sedai aren't evil. You, you, they don't belong in the Blight unless they're battling Trollocs and Merdral and any other sort of shadow spawn, you know? Sometimes you might find greens out there kicking ass with their warders, but other than that, no. They don't belong there. For the most part, you know, at least ma majority of them are good. But at the same time, they're so awful. <laughs> How, how do you argue with Bartram when they're awful but not evil? It's, it's frustrating. It's like the Elida principle. We wanted her to be black. We wanted it so bad. We wanted her to be an evil black Aja, you know? But did it happen? No, we just had to hate her because she's awful. <laughs> yeah, Bartram was saying he would, of course, not be any closer to an Aes Sedai than he could help it. But apparently, you know, the Aes Sedai were stopping in every town and village on their way to Camelon to show off the powerless false dragon. And once they got to Camelon, they were going to uh, show him off to Queen Morgaze. And here, at last, we got a touch of respect out of Bartram as he talked about his queen. He even kind of knuckled his forehead. You know, he's like, a man should see his own queen, which was... It was nice. Bartram's getting some points here towards as the conversation goes on. He's he's a bad innkeeper, and he's not good to gleeman, but he respects his queen. He's a proper queen's man. That's a good thing, right? Uh, he also said that, Bartram, that he had seen the last false dragon a few years back and that he couldn't channel. At least Bartram said he couldn't do, quote, quote, things. And he had been tied down in a wagon bed and shown about just like Loghain, but just with soldiers to guard him because he couldn't channel. Uh, sometimes, apparently, kids poked him with sticks or threw rocks at him, but as long as nobody did anything life-threatening, the soldiers did nothing to stop it because it had to be clear this man couldn't do things. But that's awful. And the, the soldiers shouldn't have let that happen. I don't... I mean, I guess a false dragon is awful in its own way. But, man, I feel bad for the guy in the wagon bed. <sighs> but, yeah. Bartram says going to see Loghain actually might be interesting, you know? Something special, because he could channel. But going to Camelon and seeing Queen Morgays would be so much better. You know? Uh, he really kind of wants to do it, which I, it would be nice if he did, but he said he can't get away from his inn, but I, I think he could because he doesn't bother to clean it, so I, there's so many inns there. He could shut his doors for a week or so and go out and go to Camelon, maybe bring some custom back. I don't know. Oh, if you're ever in White Whitebridge, stop at my inn. The Wayfarer's uh, Rest. You know, it might be a good uh, good marketing strategy. You know, there's going to be so many refugees heading home after the thing is done. And I'm just saying, he, he, he it wouldn't be a bad idea for him to give it a shot. And uh, I like how Rand listened eagerly and with great interest to Bartram's story about Loghain. Because after all, it was interesting. When Podon Fain brought, brought news of the false dragon... To the two rivers, it was like the biggest news they had ever had in years. You know, only 
the major events after it kind of pushed it out of Rand's head, you know, Ch being attacked by Trollocs, being chased by Murdral, Drawcar, and I said I saying the Dark One was after you, having Balzaban in your dreams. He just he just kind of forgot about Loghain. It wasn't it wasn't as important to him. <laughs> Still, he thought that this whole false dragon story was big deal concerning a man that could channel trying to become the dragon. It's something that you tell your grandchildren about. <laughs> Oh, something to tell your grandchildren about. Rand still has no idea what the future holds for him, and it's kind of sad when you read it here. He's going to have such a hard next few years. He really is. Uh, I also liked Rand's thought here that he was sure at least that Bartram would be telling his kin years from now that he was really there, whether he was or wasn't. Even Tom admits it's a good story. And one that might last a thousand years? What? I don't think so. That that seems a little push in it. Maybe Tom was just being polite. I don't know. Seeing how Loghain and Mathram Tame appeared around the same time. And then the true Dragon Reborn will show up a little later. And he'll also be he who comes with the Dawn, the Koromor, the Lord of the Morning, the Karakarn. You know, I don't think Loghain's meager rise to not really false dragon is gonna is is gonna really go down in history it's probably gonna be Loghain as head of the new black tower that's gonna go down in history uh but anyways i found tom's interest in the subject surprising he says he wishes he had been there and rand seems rand seems to believe him which is just odd because i always thought it was a ruse to hide suspicion you know if a Gleeman didn't want a great story like that, wouldn't it be strange? And Tom doesn't like the one power or Ice and Eyes, so I really felt it was him more trying to get info out of Bartram and find out where the Ice and I were so they could avoid them. But maybe he really was interested. Maybe it was both, but it just doesn't seem like a fantastical story to last a thousand years. I don't know. Hmm. I suppose that's why he said he might still try to check out where the Aes Sedai were going by asking which route they were taking. That way he could know what to avoid. I don't know, maybe? Anyways, Bartram just says it's north and that's all he really knows. You know, if they want to go see the False Dragon, go to Camelin. Which is in the west, isn't it? I don't, I don't have the map in front of me. I think it's to the west. Oh, whatever. Uh, yeah. So Bartram goes on to say, well, that's all I know. And, it, and if there's anything to know in Whitebridge, I know it. <laughs> and Tom was like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you do know everything here. And then he lies about how they entered town saying his sign caught their eye at the foot of Whitebridge, giving the impression that they entered via Camelin Road rather than boat. Which means, wouldn't they be coming from the direction that the Aes Sedai were going? Again, it doesn't make any sense to me, but I think I'm overthinking it. I need to move on. Uh, Bartram swells up with pride, uh, at, you know, at Tom's praise and words and all that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I do get all these great visitors, you know? 
And not just from the West, but the East, too. Just a few days before, they had a man up here from Ilion, all dressed up with a proclamation bound in ribbons and the like, and said they were sending word all over the world. All over the world. I think I think the actual thing in the book said, we're set, he's sending uh, news to every land in the world. And I'm just like, that's not true. You're not sending someone to Shan Chan or the land of Madman or, you know, out with the sea folk. You're not doing that. I, I, maybe they wanted to seem grander. Like, why didn't they just say they're sending people all over the continent? It was, no, I don't know. And that the Ilioner that's all dressed nice would be heading up even to the mountains of mist if the path was clear. And then Bartram went on to say about, oh, the mountains of mist. Uh, I hear there's terrible th monsters up in there, and they can strip the flesh off your bones before you even know what happened. <laughs> which causes Matt to kind of snort at him, which probably wasn't for the best and makes Bartram eye him. It's just rant. Matt, be, don't be like that. I know you guys have been to the mountain of mist. That's one of the things Rand, ta Rand Matt, and Perrin brag about. But, I don't know, making fun of him for it wasn't cool. I mean, there's things that pe you don't like being made fun of for your ignorance of the world, Matt. So, what am I even doing? He's he's being affected by the dagger. Of course he's going to be nasty. Oh, I cannot wait, and I mean this, I cannot wait for book three when we finally get the true Matt. When we finally get his POV stories. I want it so bad, but it's like... What? <laughs> Over a hundred episodes away? <laughs> oh, it's going to be so long. Anyways, back to the story. Tom was more interested in the proclamation and what it said, you know? And that's when Bartram dropped the bomb. It's the Great Hunt of the Horn. It's finally being called. Apparently, some high-ups in Ilion think the last battle is coming, and the horde of Valir must be found before the time comes. And Bartram kind of laughed at this, but, you know, according to Rand, it was a hollow laugh. You know? <laughs> yeah, the horde of Valir. <laughs> you know? He's, he's laughing to force himself. He, he wants it to be something to laugh at, because otherwise, everything's getting really scary. Oh... <laughs> uh... And apparently Bartram thinks the horn is just a legend, and that there'll always be fools to follow something like that. But he has to admit, the winter's been going on forever. He mentions the winter like four times. He's like, but I've got to admit, the winter and the multiple false dragons and the winter and this low gain fellow and the winter. <laughs> it was kind of how he said it, you know? You know, he's like, things are crazy. Maybe, just maybe, you know? Those Ilioners were right, and he asked old Tom what he thinks. But Tom just seems to be lost in thought. And that's when he began to recite. In the last lone fight, against the fall of long night, the mountains stand guard, and the dead shall be warred, for the grave is no bar to my call. 
And oh boy, is Bartram excited at that. He's like, oh yes, everybody's heard the proclamation in town. Oh my god, tell that one. Tell that one. If you tell that great hunt of the horn, we'll have him in here hanging from the rafters. But Tom just sat there in deep thought. Honestly, I always found it a bit funny they heard about the proclamation this way. I mean... They do find the horn itself in the eye at the end of the book. But also, I liked that the uh, last time we see mustaches, I mean Tom, for a while we were hearing about the horn. And the next time we see him, Rand literally puts the thing into the Gleeman's hands. I just, I just like that. It's, it, it's fun. So... Tom's still in thought, and an impatient Rand brings up that they're looking for some friends. And when the innkeeper asks, alright, what do they look like? And Rand is about to open his big dumb mouth, Tom comes back to himself and gives Rand a sharp, silencing look, before taking it upon himself, giving no names, but giving short descriptions of each, so that anyone who's seen them could tell who they are, but not much else. Two men, three women, perhaps traveling together, perhaps apart. Huh. I wonder if I could do this myself. Land would be described as the dictionary perfect version of badass. You know, a fighting man who radiated danger. But a controlled danger. You know? Yeah. Moraine would be a beautiful woman of short stature, but great self-assurance. A lady dressed in silks. Egwene, uh, a pretty young village girl, moderately short with a stubborn set to her jaw. Perrin, a large, burly, curly-haired young man with good manners. And Nynaeve, a slightly taller village woman than the last, but one that always looks angry and might whack you over the head if you aren't careful. <laughs> what do you think? How did I do? Couple, couple short descriptions? Huh? I don't know. Uh, you know, up till now, I don't think we've been seeing Bartram in the best light. He is in, looked dirty, and not well cared for. He tried to short-change Tom by getting him to stay and perform, but not offering him a very good deal at all. And when they asked him about his news, he spent a very long time talking about his feet rather than what they really wanted to hear, and he knew it. But here, he shows us a he's a better man than we gave him credit for. He gives Tom back the money for the drinks and says he doesn't think the Gleeman should be performing here after all. In fact, he thinks it's best if they just finish their wine and head out as soon as possible. Out of town, if they can manage it. Which is pretty substantial when you think about it. Tom guesses rightly that someone else has been asking questions about the same people, and the innkeeper nods. Two in the last week. First, a small, weaselly fellow that seemed more than half mad. He asked about most of the same people, one minute giving orders like a king, the next squirrely and nervous. Apparently, the man never stopped moving even once demanding his questions be answered like they were extremely important, and then acting like the answers were of little consequence. And he almost got thrashed a couple times, crazy or not, 
and the town guards almost took him into custody for his own safety. Blah, 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 it's pot on Fane. I wish he had gotten thrashed. But he was gone later the same day, saying he had to wait for them and half crying that he had to go on. I'll admit I hate him so much, and I'd wished he had got smacked around a little bit by some drunken sailors. But I do feel a little, just, 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 just a little bad for Fane. Okay? This situation only, and it might only be, this might be the only time he gets my pity. That's all I'm trying to say. The switching personalities tell us he's already joined with Mordeth, but they aren't quite melding yet. And he's still under Baalzaman's thrall, forcing him fo onward. And that's, that's the sad part. He can't stop. He can't sleep. He can't eat other than what he can snatch up while running. That is sad. But otherwise, I hate him. <laughs> it's even difficult to find words of pity for Padon Fane. It is, but I do feel it. <sighs> and I did get more than a little annoyed when Rand looks at Matt and Tom and none of them recognize who the man could be. Who else do you know that's Weasley? Padon Fane is it. I'm just saying. But they liked Padon Fane, so maybe we wouldn't think of him as Weasley. I don't... I don't know, it's just really frustrating. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Rand wondered if it was some sort of dark friend after them, but then he wondered, really? This was actually in the text. He wondered, would Baal Zaman really use a madman? Wait, really? Baal Zaman's mad. Come on, dude. <laughs> of course he'd use a madman. Oh, alright folks, I'm so sorry I had to turn on the fan because I'm sweating buckets in here in front of my computer and I just... Oh, the, the, the sigh of relief when the first gust of wind hit me was just wonderful. So if it shows up too much on the podcast, just yell at me and I'll try to do better at recording these things early in the morning or late at night. That way heat really isn't as much of a problem. But, whoo, my god. So, yeah, Padon Fane's a madman. Would Baalzaman really use a madman? Of course he would. Madmen use each other. Being mad doesn't necessarily mean you can't do a job that needs doing. <sighs> I'm just frustrated. It takes them too, way too long to learn Padon Fane was a bad guy. Way too long, and I hate Padon Fane. I just hate him. <laughs> Next, Bartram decided to tell them about the second question here. But this one made him super nervous to even think about. But it was really clear to our gang in just moments that it was a murder all. <laughs> I really liked how Bartram described it. So I'm going to read it to you myself. It's the second paragraph of page 391 if you want to look it up yourself at some point. All in black he is, keeps the hood of his cloak pulled up so you can't see his face. But you could feel him looking at you, feel it like an icicle shoved into your spine. He... he spoke to me. He flinched and stopped to chew his lip before going on. Sounded like a snake crawling through dead leaves. Fair turned my stomach to ice. Every time as, as he comes back, he asks the same questions. Same questions the crazy man asked. Nobody ever sees him coming. He's just there, all of a sudden, day or night, freezing you where you stand. People are starting to look over their shoulders. Worst of it is, 
The gate tenders claim he's never passed through any of the gates. Coming. Or going. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you ask me, that sounds appropriately scary enough to be a murderall. Totally. Tom carefully says he would absolutely remember if he'd met anyone like that. And Bartram nods furiously in agreement that he definitely, absolutely, positively would remember. And then the innkeeper went on to say that he wanted to know about most of the same people the crazy man wanted. But he also added a girl and uh, a white-haired gleeman. And Tom is clever here. And he's like, I don't know the fella, like I told you. Besides, I'm not the only gleeman with a bit of age on him on the roads out here. And Bartram's just like, yeah, yeah, maybe. But um, I got the impression that anyone who hid these people from him or helped them would uh, find themselves in a bit of trouble. So I'll tell you the same thing I told him. I ain't never seen these poor people, nor have I heard of them. And that's the truth. And with that, Bartram walked away from them. Like I said, he seemed a bit greedy at first, with a dirty in and not giving Tom what he's worth. But then he told them the info they wanted and warned them about other people looking for them, and even gave back their coins for the drinks. He couldn't be all that bad. That That's a good sign. Uh, but with Master Bartram gone, it was Matt who spoke first, which is surprising, since Matt has barely spoken at all in this chapter, besides thinking that maybe they are dead, look at the facts, Rand, and then snorting at Bartram's flesh being torn off by monsters in the... Mountains of Mist, finally, finally he speaks, and he's like, It's a fade! We should have known they'd be here. Should have known they'd be following us. And Tom's like, And the fade will be back, before laying out what he thought should be their new plan, which is to head back to Doman's boat and head for Iliad. And Rand's like, No, I told you. But Tom's like, Listen, boy, what would be better? The search for us, the search for them, will be centered on the Camelin Road, not on a boat heading out a thousand miles in a different direction. Think, boys. Ilion, the great hunt of the horn, has been called again for the first time in 400 years. We could make our fortune there. And that, I really like this. This is my favorite part of Tom's argument. By the time the murder all found you, you'd be so old and gray and tired of watching your grandchildren, you won't care if they take you anymore. Which is just kind of nice, right? Like, yeah. But Rand's like, hell no, I told you. No. They'll be Murdral and Alien. They'll be Murdral wherever we go. Shadow Spawn, just follow us. And I want to know why. Why is this happening? Why are, am, I keep going into I and I keep changing person and it's, it's confusing me. But once again, Rand's like, hell no, they'll be Murdral and Ilion too, they'll be Shadow Spawn wherever they go, and he wants to know why. Why is this happening to him? Why is he having these terrifying dreams? And he's going to Tarvalin to find out whether he's with Moraine or he's alone. <sighs> and Tom's just like, dude, I... His face softens at the mention of dreams, you know? And he's like, even those dreams, lad... They're just dreams, aren't they? Blood and bloody ashes. They can't hurt you. But Rand's like, well, apparently they can, you know? But I haven't told you about that one yet, you know? 
And that's about the time Matt's dagger set about working on Rand. Ah, oh, poor guy. He's getting so much negativity thrown his way. Really? A dream can't hurt? Do dream thorns draw real blood? Do you dare tell anyone? Baalzaman is in your dreams. But what's between dreaming and waking now? Who do you dare tell you that the Dark One is touching you? So, seeing that Rand won't budge, Tom turns to Matt and asks if he'll help convince the guy. After all, he's pretty sure Matt doesn't want to go to Tarvalin either. But Matt just flushes half with anger, half with embarrassment, and asks rudely, let me reapply, rudely, why Tom continues to bother. If he wants to go back to the boat, he should just go back to the boat. And this causes the Gleeman to shake with silent laughter while his voice remained tight and angry. He's like, you think you know enough about Murdral to evade them alone, boy? You're ready to walk into Tarvalin and hand yourself over to the Armorland seat. Can you even tell one jaw from another? If you think you can make it there on your own, you just tell me and I'll go. <sighs> but Matt wasn't thinking clearly. He was, unfortunately, under the dagger's constant effects, and he reached his hand under his coat, gripping the foul thing by the hilt, maybe even ready to use it to Rand's shock, and growls at the old Gleeman to go. Oh, how dare he. <laughs> I'm not ready for Tom to go, guys. I'm not ready for it. I'm procrastinating. I'm <sighs> Maybe that's why this episode's been so hard to record. I don't know. Just as an alarmed Rand was thinking of how to intercede between a possibly murderous Matt and an angry, concerned Gleeman, there was an explosion of laughter on the other side of the wall. Trollocs! Put it on a Gleeman's cloak, man! You're drunk! Borderland fables! <laughs> the word Trolloc was strong enough to drown their anger like being doused with cold water. Rand peeked just, just barely over this wall, only to find that it was Gelb talking to the two workmen from earlier. What a surprise to find Gelb spreading vile rumors. The men were laughing at him for now, which is good. But they were still listening, too. And Gelb was trying to tell them that, you know, I've been to the Borderlands, I've seen Trollocs, but... The two men don't believe him. I think one says, nah, nah, there used to be Trollocs, but they were all killed in the Trolloc Wars. And that's, that's not true either. And then the evil little detestable man went on to call those three that had been aboard his ship dark friends. He's like, I heard that they were, uh, they said they were fleeing the Trollocs, but I don't know. I think they were aligned with the Trollocs personally. I've had my suspicions for Bale Domon a while now, little bastard, but I am sure those three are dark friends for sure. 
<laughs> I hate Florin Gelb. He's awful. He's just awful. Hearing this, uh, Matt admitted that maybe the boat wasn't such a bad idea after all. You know, I'm just saying. Uh, but Tom's like, nope, that option is out. Doman won't be sailing till the morning, and Gelb's story will be all over town before long, whether anybody believes it or not. Besides, the Murdral could hear this story anytime. Their only choice now was to run, and to run hard. He pulled out the money pouch Doman had given them and split it into three equal piles, giving the two boys their share. He said he didn't plan on splitting up with them, but it was best to be safe. The baddies were getting close now, and there was no telling what would happen. Maybe deep down Tom knew he might have to make a sacrifice, or maybe the pattern knew the boys needed to have a bit of pocket change before the, you know, before the split. Um, I also liked how Tom dryly asked Matt if, you know, do you still mind me coming along, lad? And he just kind of shrugged and then looked at him again and shrugged and kind of apologized. You know, he's just tired of being on the run. Tired of finding someone after them every time they stop for breath. It's just putting him on edge and he doesn't like it. So with that, it was time to go. And they couldn't go out the normal door because that means they would have to pass directly by... Uh, Florin Gelb's damn table and they sure as hell wasn't going to do that. So Tom crouched over and indicated for them to follow and then opened a window very quietly and they slipped out into the alley. Uh, and once outside, Matt began moving for the street, but Tom stopped him saying, you know, they have to wait and make a plan. Uh, but Matt demanded demanded to know why he was staying with them. Why would he go so far when he knows for a fact that it's safer away from them? Why? And Tom is silent for a moment uh, and shrugs off his cloak and fo he forms a pile with his sleeping roll and instrument cases before he warily spoke to them. He told them that he had a nephew named Owen once, his brother's son, and at one time, his last living kin. But that he got into some trouble with the Aes Sedai. Tom didn't know if he could have helped him, or if he could, what, else, what on earth he could have done. He had been busy with other things at the time. The great game. But by the time he did go, it was already done. And Owen died not too long after. And you could say that Aes Sedai killed him. You know, because they gentled him and then left him to the mercy of his villagers. It's rather sad. He died, and if I remember right, his young wife went with him before too long later, but that, I might be wrong at that. <sighs> so, Tom says if he can keep these boys out of Tarvalin's clutches, then, well, maybe he can make up a bit for Owen. Maybe he can stop thinking about him every time he turns around. And with that, he told them to wait for a moment and walked calmly and cooling out into the alley. Out of the alley. But not before Rand noticed tears in his eyes. Guys, I'm getting nervous. It's coming. I read this chapter three times, and I always got emotional at this part of the chapter. I always got emotional. 
So for a moment, Matt's suspicion pops up. And he's about to follow him, but then he sits back down. Because even through all of the crap from the dagger, he's like, No, Tom's not abandoning us. He left his music cases here. He's coming back. Because <laughs> Tom would never, ever, ever leave those behind. And then he asked if Rand believed the old man's story. Prompting Rand to ask, What the hell is going on with him? I mean, really, this isn't the Matt he knows, constantly suspicious and brooding. I mean, light, he hasn't even last in day, laughed in days. I can't talk. I cannot talk today, and it's driving me nuts. But Matt argues he doesn't like being hunted like rabbits, and it's all that strangers and fear, and he, it's just put him on edge, and he can't seem to shake off that edge. I don't know, maybe if he dropped the dagger somewhere, the edge would magically disappear. Oh. Probably not. He requires healing by now, doesn't he? <sighs> he can't seem to help but to look at somebody, anybody, he passes by and wonder if they'll give him away to the Murdral, or cheat them, or rob them, or worse. And then he asks Rand if this makes him at all nervous, but the dude just barks a laugh and says, you know, Matt, I'm too scared to be nervous, <laughs> which I liked. Matt wonders what the Aes Sedai did to his nephew, but Rand thinks, you know, there's really only one major trouble a man could get into with Aes Sedai. And Matt's like, so not like us then? And Rand's like, no, not like us. <laughs> Rand doesn't know yet. But sometimes I wonder if Tam Tom does. He knew about his nephew's problem. Maybe he learned the signs of a man channeling or getting close to it, you know? And that display on the spray's mast might have definitely tipped the old Gleeman off, you know? Especially if he knew what to look for. Anyways, they waited, and then a tall man with his hood up in what appeared to be a black cloak entered the alley, putting both boys immediately in distress and on high alert. <laughs> However, it just turned out to be Tom uh, in a disguise. He's wearing a dark brown cloak, not a black one, but the shadows of the alley kind of made it look darker than it was. And he swapped out his belongings between the cloaks before placing his instruments in his old Gleeman's cloak, patches on the inside as to hide them, tied it all up, and uh, prepared to go. The plan was for them all to exit the town separately, just far enough from each other to keep the others in sight. And that should make it easier to get away, you know, seeing as their enemies were looking for three men traveling together. But sadly, that's not how things went. Just as they exited the alley and entered the Great Square, things went bad. Very, very, very bad. <laughs> okay, so... The three entered the square cautiously, Rand looking about the crowd of people waiting, half expecting the sudden shout of Dark Friend that could turn a normal crowd of people into a terrible mob of anger and fear and death. Rand ran his eyes over the square, and when he returned his gaze to what lay before him, a murdral was there. The square began to empty as even though none of the people knew what it was, they could sense the danger, the creature's fear-inducing gaze. Rand, Matt, and Tom surely felt it. 
Matt had the ruby digger, dagger out in the open at last, his teeth bared in a rictus of fear. But Tom told them to stop looking at him. Bloody look away from the thing. Rand did, but it was terribly, terribly difficult. It was described as like pulling a leech off your face. Rand asked what they should do now, that they can't just stand there and wait for it to get them. But Tom asked if he truly thought they could outrun it. Then he growled and muttered to himself. Rand could only catch one word. Owen. You know how great this moment was because I made it my clip of the day. And with that, Tom had finally come to a decision. He said he never should have gotten involved with the boys. Never. Never should have. Before pushing his cloak containing his beloved instruments into Rand's hands and telling them to run when he said so. But Rand's legs felt like lead. He wasn't sure if he could run. But then Tom gave them each a push. And once he started moving, they kept going. And then Tom ran too, but not in the direction of the boys. He ran straight into the merge roll. Tom Rand actually stopped for a second, trying to turn back and help his mentor, but Matt pulled him on. The evil creature was taken by surprise. I doubt many old men run to clash with his type, even in the Borderlands. It reached for his hilt, but Tom's log legs got him there first, and he dived at the creature, blades out, all the while yelling for the two boys to run. They crashed into each other, the Murdral's black blade only half out of its sheath, and after a moment, Tom began to scream. A horrible scream. But through his pain and fear, he was still able to get out one final word. Run! There was a flash of blue, which some say came from Tom's power rot daggers. But those flashes only come from blade meeting blade. Others have thought it came from the Murdral's blade striking the power rot white bridge when they hit the ground. However, they were in the square, not on the bridge. So that's out too. Personally, I think Rand channeled. The flash of blue is often referred to calling lightning, and I believe when we see Whitebridge again with Moraine and Nynaeve, we'll find several random houses had burned down. So I think poor Rand wanted so desperately to help his mentor, but Matt pulled him along, and together they ran onward. He, I don't think Rand could have helped in that moment. He didn't have control, but he tried. They weren't the only ones who fled, either. A whole throng of people ran for the gates. Husband and wives, women holding babies or pulling crying children along, workmen in aprons, all fled terrified for the gates. And with this, Matt and Rand were able to pass out of Whitebridge amongst the throng, with nobody able to tell out, tell out which gate they fled or in which direction. But they continued to run still as hard as they could, until they were the only ones left on the road and the town of Whitebridge lay nearly out of sight. It was only then that Rand fell gasping to his knees, clutching Tom's bundles to his chest, panting Tom, oh light Tom. <sighs> Matt, lacking tact, told Rand that he had to be dead. They saw, they heard, but Rand was frustrated and simply responded with a, You still think Rand that Perrin and Gwaine and Nynaeve and Moraine are all dead too? And if they are, why are they still being looked for by the Murdral, huh? And Matt agrees. He's like, well, maybe they are alive. But Tom, after what just happened, we saw it, Rand. He's dead. 
They have to keep going. Rand agreed that they did have to keep going and got to his feet, looking back the way he had come. It breaks my heart how Rand almost expected to see the old man coming up the path, blowing out his mustaches and telling them how much trouble they were. But he wasn't there. He wouldn't be coming. Together, Rand and Matt walked down the path on their way to Camelon. Every now and then, Rand would look behind, but the road was always empty. Oh, light. Until we see you again, mustaches, and about 760 bloody pages. Oh, it's going to be such a long time until I see one of my favorite characters again. And that's the end of chapter 26, Light Whitebridge. I almost said Lightbridge. I can't talk today. Ah, oh, man, this hurts. I know he's alive. Isn't that funny? I know he's alive. It's, it's, it's horribly sad that he's going to get the limp and everything, but we know he's alive. But blood and ashes, man. Tom was a hero there. A bloody hero out of one of his own stories, you know? And he didn't do what he need. He didn't do... He, he didn't have to. I mean, I don't think Rand and Matt's webs of Taviran were forcing him to die like this. Or maybe they made sure he could survive. I don't know. But just... Where are the songs of Tom Marilyn Gleeman Hero? That's what I want to know. I mean, he better be in... Lo in, in uh, lo I was going to say Logan's. Why? He better be in Loyal's book... About the Dragon Reborn. He better be. He better have a nice, huge, proper role. Because without Tom Marilyn, I can't believe how many times these Taviran's lives would have crashed to a halt. It's crazy. Oh, okay. I think we need to end the podcast here. Bloody hell. <sighs> well, uh, I'd like to remind you that our first drawing will be coming on the first podcast of September. And you'll be either in to win a Wheel of Time coin set, which has a gold mark, a silver mark, and a copper, or you can win a $15 e-gift card. So right now we only have two people in the drawing, so I'd suggest if you want to get in on that, you head over to my Patreon uh, all you need is $1 a month for the Dragon Sworn tier, and guess what, folks? You can get your ticket in now and not have to pay your dollar until September. So, regardless, you'd have a ticket in. You know what I mean? I, th I think people should go for it. It's just a buck a month, and you have a w uh, the opportunity to win all these fun prizes coming up. I don't know if I want to keep doing the drawing, if by, like, let's say, November, I still don't have any more than two or three patrons. because, Or we're just going to have to lower what the drawings, drawing is. I don't know. Well, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast because I do. Uh, I, I know that I've had some problems recording here and there, but I really do enjoy it. Sometimes I just don't feel it, you know? And I don't want to come to you guys with half-assed material. 
and I feel like this episode might end up being a little weak because it took two days <laughs> to do um, and a portion of it was done without notes and I don't know give me your feedback guys criticize let me know uh, tell me on uh, Twitter with at the the Gleeman Radio. Email me at GleemanRadio at gmail.com uh, or put a comment in wherever you're listening to this. I'd love I'd love to hear from you guys. Let me know if this was awful. Let me know if it was good. I really won't be offended either way. Um, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day wherever you are. Peace out. Thanks. Bye.